In the year 1737, the well-known American pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards, he published a first-hand account of the religious revival that had taken place in his town of Northampton, Massachusetts. He entitled his account, A Faithful Narrative of the Surprising Work of God in the Conversion of Many Hundreds of Souls in Northampton. Very descriptive, I know. In this account, or narrative, as Edwards calls it, we discover one of the first descriptions of what would soon come to be called evangelical awakenings. You might have heard of the first great awakening that swept through the American colonies in the 18th century. Well, this little revival in Northampton, this was one of the first stirrings of that great awakening. And the experiences that Edwards describes, they're very typical of what took place in that revival more broadly. In particular, Edwards tells the story of one young woman who he thinks is a, a perfect example of the spiritual, the spiritual experiences that are taking place in Northampton. A young woman named Abigail Hutchinson. Before her awakening, Edwards says that Abigail was a serious and respectable young lady who had no real attraction to religious enthusiasm, but was by all appearances a very upright and virtuous person. To use the language of the Book of Romans, by all external measures, Abigail was a very righteous young woman. But then one day she heard the story of some young women in Northampton who'd had a, a remarkable conversion experience, and she decided that she wanted something similar. And so she began to read through the Bible. She started this, Edward says, on a Monday and continued until Thursday, at which time there was a sudden alteration by a great increase of her concern in an extraordinary sense of her own sinfulness, which came upon her, as she expressed it, as a flash of lightning and struck her into an exceeding terror. In other words, Abigail began to read the Bible so that she might grow in her righteousness, but the actual effect is that she came to a profound awareness of the message that Paul hammers home in the early chapters of Romans, that she was not righteous, but a sinner, and that she deserved not the praise of her peers, but the judgment of her God. Uh, that conviction persisted through the weekend, but then on Monday, Edward says, on the following Monday, Abigail's mind was drawn to the words of 1 John chapter 1, where it says that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And as she meditated on those words, a, a peacefulness and a kind of inexpressible joy came over her. And as Edwards puts it, on Monday she felt all day a constant sweetness in her soul. Within days of this experience, Abigail, who had always suffered with various infirmities, she began to become more and more ill. Some days she couldn't eat at all and she experienced significant pain. And yet through it all, she demonstrated a, a peace and serenity of spirit that seemed shocking and inexplicable to those around her. Finally, after days of being confined to bed and being almost unable to speak because of her illness, 
Abigail died. And Edwards tells us she died as a person that went to sleep without any struggling. Jonathan Edwards wrote down Abigail's story because he thought it was both indicative of what was taking place in Northampton and because he thought it would be inspirational for others. And he was right. Speaking for myself, I'm inspired by the remarkable joy and hope and peace that Abigail, after her conversion, shows amidst her sickness. But the reason that I tell her story now isn't just because I find it inspirational, but because her experience is such a perfect illustration for the progression that we find in the first five chapters of Romans. Once she began reading scripture in earnest, Abigail's first realization was the gravity and the severity of her sin. Now, Edward says that she came to this conclusion as she was reading through the Old Testament. But this is exactly the same conclusion that that St. Paul is impressing on us for the first several chapters of Romans, drawing on all those Old Testament texts. Then, after her deep conviction of sin, then she began to understand the good news that to use the language of the verse in 1 John she was thinking about, that, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's the, that's the same good news that Paul proclaims. In that wonderful section near the end of chapter 3, where he talks about God putting forward Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, to be fair, Edwards never uses the language of justification. He never uses that word when he describes Abigail's awakening. And it's not clear whether she would have used that language either. But the shift that she experiences from sorrow and fear over her sin to peace and joy and hope, well, it's pretty clear that regardless of what language she might have used, she understood what Paul was getting at. She experienced the salvation that comes not as something earned, but simply as a gift to be received by faith. In fact, when she spoke to her brother the first day after her awakening, on that Monday, she told him that that she'd been worried over how she would ever be able to be converted. She had assumed that it was something she would have to do, but then she said the night before she'd realized that, as she put it, God can make it easy. In short, although she never actually references Romans, Abigail's experience, it follows the same logic. It follows the same progression that we've seen as we've walked through these first four chapters. And as we get to chapter five, she proves once again to be an excellent example. For in Romans four, Paul talked about how we are made right by faith and not by works, as a gift and not as something earned. But then in the first 11 verses of Romans 5, he turns his attention to the effects of justification. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith. Therefore, what? What are the results of this justification? What effects does it have on us? Well, the first thing that Paul mentions is peace. But if you pay attention, you'll notice that he actually goes on to speak of of a variety of effects. 
I think that John Stott summarizes them very well when he says, the fruits of justification relate to the past, present, and future. We have peace with God as a result of our past forgiveness. We are standing now in grace, our present privilege, and we rejoice in the hope of glory, our future inheritance. Forgiveness from the past, peace with God in the present, and the hope of glory in the future. All of that, Paul is saying, is given to us in God's work of justification. But that's not all. Paul goes on to say that those who experience this gift, that they're not only given peace and hope, they're also enabled to have profound joy in life, regardless of whatever circumstances they may find themselves in. In fact, he says it's precisely in hardship and severity that those who are justified discover true joy, that they can, as he puts it in verse 3, rejoice in their sufferings. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us would admit that's a, that's a pretty strange thing to say. It's one thing to maintain a positive attitude despite suffering. It's quite another to talk about rejoicing in your suffering. And this isn't just a modern objection to what Paul is saying. People in the ancient world, they would have thought it would be very strange as well. Their lives were filled with suffering, these Romans to whom he was writing. More suffering than most of us can imagine. And they didn't think it was a good thing. They did whatever they could to avoid it. In fact, it's one of the things that really made the early Christian community stand out among their Roman neighbors. Even some Roman civic officials and soldiers, we have accounts of how they marveled at how the Christians responded when they were harassed and persecuted, at the joy that they saw in them. And we find the same thing when we pay attention to later saints like Abigail Hutchinson. How did she respond to the pain and infirmity and sickness that she experienced in her final days? Well, according to her friends and family, she not only endured it peacefully, she seemed to rejoice in the midst of it. And here in Romans 5, Paul explains why that is. Why is it that Christians can rejoice in their sufferings? Because, he says, because they have hope. Now, three different times in these early verses of Romans 5, Paul talks about hope. But what exactly does he mean by it? Uh, we're going to need to wait for a thorough answer to that question, since this is a theme that Paul again takes up in chapter 8, and he treats it at greater length there. But we can already get some idea of what it is that he thinks Christians are looking forward to, where their hope lies, by paying attention to the short phrase that he uses in verse 2, when he says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That phrase, the glory of God, it's, a, it's an interesting phrase. On the one hand, Paul seems to be referring to, to our experience of, of beholding and perceiving God's beauty and goodness and majesty, his glory. Now, perhaps Paul had in mind the words of the prophet Habakkuk, who had spoken of a future when God's glory would be made manifest on earth. For the earth will be filled, Habakkuk says, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or perhaps Paul was thinking of the words of Jesus, 
who said that those who are pure in heart are blessed, that they are happy, blissful, because they will see God. Or maybe he was thinking of something along the lines of what the book of Revelation has in mind when it describes the future city in which, in which the saints will dwell, that city which has no need of sun or moon because it is bathed in the light of the glory of God. Uh, many of the great theologians in Christian history have described the final Christian hope, the thing that we're looking forward to. They describe it with this phrase, the beatific vision which is a blissful experience of seeing and delighting in the glory of God. It's a vision of God that makes one blissfully happy. And maybe that's what Paul has in mind here. We can rejoice even amidst suffering because we have a sure and certain hope that we will see God. And in seeing him, we will experience a more profound bliss than we can possibly imagine. But the hope of glory doesn't just include seeing God. What Paul seems to have in mind isn't just a future when we will see the perfect beauty and wonder of God, but when we will actually share in that glory. At least that's what John Calvin thought when he read these words in Romans. The hope of the glory of God, he says, has shown upon us by the gospel which testifies that we shall be partakers of the divine nature. For when we shall see God face to face, we shall be like him. Uh, like I said, we don't know whether or not Abigail Hutchinson was reading and thinking about Romans during the final weeks of her life. But I have no doubt that Paul would have recognized the effects and the truth of his gospel in her if he had been able to read her story. For after coming to a sober awareness of the bad news of her own sin and helplessness, she was overcome with joy when she came to understand how Jesus' death had brought her forgiveness and she could receive the free gift of peace and relationship with God. And I think it's no coincidence that in those final days, as her body began to shut down, she found inexpressible joy. And Edwards tells us that her joy primarily came from the delight that she felt as she reflected on the goodness and the beauty and the love of God as he is known in Christ. In fact, Edwards says that Abigail gave me such an account of the sense she had from day to day of the glory of Christ and of God in his various attributes that it seemed to me she dwelt for days together in a kind of beatific vision of God. What enabled Abigail to rejoice in her sufferings was her knowledge that she had been, as Paul puts it in Romans 5, that she had been reconciled with God, that she could look forward to an ever greater experience of the glory of God. Her experience of justification led naturally to a happiness in God himself which then led to a kind of beatific vision, which led eventually, after she had passed on, to perfect beatitude. Therefore, since we, like Abigail, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. <laughs>